एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं मनी Right now in India there is a sort of a gold rush of BNPL or buy now pay later which is essentially a form of lending companies are raising billions of dollars to offer BNPL services to merchants and this is where a company like Hyperface comes in Hyperface is building the rails of BNPL essentially they're selling the shovels in the gold rush and what Hyperface does is it allows any startup to offer bnpl to their customers without worrying about kyc bank collaborations credit risk underwriting and so on essentially offering bnpl is as easy as getting a payment gateway ramanathan rv or ram the founder of hyperface is a serial entrepreneur in his last stint he was the founder at justpay which was also a payment solutions company where he was trying to solve the problem of the user experience during payments not only that but he was also the man behind the bheem app which was amongst the first upi apps in india listen on to ram talk about his fascinating journey and get an insider understanding of the fintech space once you think about you know starting out that thought never leaves you right uh what had happened during that time is that companies like flipkart had grown again you know uh, still they they hadn't attained unicorn status at that time but they had become a household name for a lot of people in the country right and the startup ecosystem started thriving more venture capital money uh, started coming into india tiger global had placed a bet on uh, flipkart right and uh, and and it seems like the it seemed like that the moment had arrived for indian startups right um uh, so we um, were so so this was a time when uh, i along with vimal vimal and i uh, go way back to amazon days uh, we worked together at uh, bank bazaar as well um and, and we were we were discussing um, you know perhaps this is the time for us to take on a much bigger challenge uh, go and solve a difficult problem a practical problem right so we we shortlisted a variety of ideas and uh, uh, we 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 were iterating on those ideas we were looking at real estate we were looking at education tech um and then we zeroed in on uh, payments eventually okay and what was the thesis like the the original problem statement that you were going to solve yeah uh, look again uh, you know we love to keep things very simple right uh looking at th- this philosophy goes back to the uh, amazon days where you know the kps the outcomes are quite simple okay uh, in amazon the philosophy is how do i offer the cheapest how do i offer a product at the cheapest price to the customer right and how do i create much wider selection that's possible right so uh, amazon had this interesting thing called uh, buy with one click uh, checkout Right. and this really really added a, a much better conversion uh, for amazon right and people looking at that 
uh, and then seeing okay how how can we bring that kind of an experience to india right again the bet was that look e-commerce is going to grow significantly and good payments is almost like water and electricity right a good payments infrastructure is almost like good electricity infrastructure right or a, or a logistics infrastructure it has to be it has to work it has to be fantastic right and and what does that mean right when when you break down that problem you can see that okay uh, the number of steps to complete a payment should uh, should be as minimum as possible yet at the same time we cannot uh, sacrifice some security right so how can we try and achieve both right so this was the problem statement that we took upon ourselves and then we said that okay let's work backwards and then figure out what what it means uh, and we landed on uh, on what culminated to be just pay so was it like a payment gateway service like say what razer pays today yeah so um, uh, look yes and no we initially thought that we would have to become a payment gateway uh, in order to be able to solve this problem right uh, but but look, we were quite clear on the outcome uh, at that time we were we were betting on the technology and experience right um, we were not betting on the money moving problem right that's a that's a whole different dimension of problem you got to you got to account for financial risk and and many other factors right whereas we were we were really betting on uh, the fact that look the form factors are going to change uh, and the uh, experience will have to be better right so how can we just take that problem and then solve for it uh, right so we initially applied for payment gateway and then we we realized that we don't have to be a payment gateway so what was happening was uh, uh we would we would go to a flip card and then they would have integrated uh, with an hdfc or an icsa bank for processing cards right then we went to hdfc bank and then we said hey look we want to be a payment gateway so hdfc bank offered the same uh, technology to us right and then, and then we were we were thinking okay this is strange hdfc is offering the same technology to uh, flip card and then same technology to us we don't get anything special so then why not use flip card's existing account itself Uh, and then process transactions because we we anyways don't want to be in the money moving part hmm. so what what else is there then if not a payment gateway you're saying you want to optimize the checkout experience isn't that essentially just that payment gateway part of it like what else is there like so the responsibility of a payment gateway first and foremost is to process the transaction make sure that the money is uh, received by them and then they settle it out to the merchants right everything else is incidental to this okay uh, a good checkout experience and uh, and, uh, and a very less very friction free experience all of that these problems are all just incidental to that right uh, but the primary responsibility of the payment gateway is to assure the e-commerce merchants that the money is going to be processed for them right now now this this was one of the uh, one of the things that we took off the table and we said that look let us focus on the experience because we if you get into solving too many problems then you know you can't solve one problem really really well right and uh, I, I i remember even at that time in uh, when me and demel used to brainstorm on this right we used to even think like look you know experience really is dictated by the underlying payment methods visa mastercard hdfc net banking uh, or a wallet you know th- these are all the payment methods that actually set the rules of the game Right. So we we used to think at that time. Look, if if uh, Visa Mastercard started in in the 60s in India, right? Uh, sorry, in the US at that time, uh, AmeriCard was the 
was the first uh, version of the card based experience right which which was very analogish time at that time right now we we continue to carry that baggage uh, uh, and it works it works fantastically well uh, uh, no no uh, absolutely no doubts about that but what if let's say you know even visa mastercard were to think from scratch today given all these technological advancements right how would they think about building a payment system right uh, and can it be can it have a much better experience right uh, uh, for example you know you know what you can even think like uh, things like today that amazon checkout experience that you have in the stores where you just walk in and walk out right and and somewhere the payment gets processed by just your facial recognition and things like that so you've got multiple other dimensions today which can be used to process payments uh, uh right and and smartphone is one such dimension which is which has become almost universal i wouldn't say universal but almost universal right uh, uh now uh, now what if let's say you know a newer payment methods emerge uh and can the experience be better right can we can we play a role in that so we used to brainstorm these kind of things right and and so our minds were we were fully set to solve for the experience problem rather than the money moving problem hmm. so what exactly was the product that you launched like where did that fit into the 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 customer experience workflow like you know the the checkout workflow right so uh, the the first problem that we solve for is that uh, uh, you know if you have to do buy with one click then the cards need to be tokenized and stored uh, uh, on file this is this is called card or card on file right and this is what amazon used to do and once you do that then the returning customer say you know you go into flipkart again the second time yeah uh, you don't have to enter your card details you don't have to enter your card details right so you just put in your cvv and then the process from there uh, is is the usual rest of the remaining process was just the usual one right so this was the first problem that we solved and then we said that look so like the the uh, hdfc payment gateway did not have this ability to remember the card and neither was flipkart doing it natively within their own app to remember the card right of course we didn't solve this problem for flipkart they built it in house we solved this problem for redbus redbus was our first client right and and once we solved this problem then uh, it took us uh, another year to uh, to uh, come up with uh, a much better friction free experience on mobile as a form factor right so 2014 we started experimenting on uh, on android phones android phones were becoming more and more commonplace and uh, we said okay in in android phone now we have this is a new dimension now how can we uh, uh, redo the experience here right rethink the experience here right so uh, uh, that's how our sdk was born what today you see where otps get auto captured and then auto submitted on 3d secure page so we built the initial prototypes in the year 2014 and then 2015 we went live on that product hmm. and this was uh, with redbus only this uh, otp yeah so redbus and make my trip for the initial clients uh for for this as well uh and this product was a was a runaway hit for uh, for just pay right pretty much uh, every uh, pretty much all top e-commerce companies today use this uh, sdk uh for automating the experience not just that we also did a lot of micro optimizations it it is uh we named it a browser for that particular reason only right so i don't know if you remember uh the opera browser used to do a lot of client side optimization 
and it used to cut down by default it used to cut down advertisements and flash and all of that so that your browsing experience became much nimbler right much faster so imagine you know uh, at that time uh, you wouldn't believe the login pages of net banking a lot of banks used to contain advertisements and and a lot of unnecessary uh, elements on on the page making very heavy and this was pre 4g right so there is a lot of 2g customers and 3g customers and the imagine the login page of uh, a bank taking 10 second hmm. and it was generally not mobile optimized also it is not mobile optimized yes like i remember my bank of india login had like a very small username password and lot of white space on the mobile yeah correct so we optimized a lot of those things imagine an opera for uh, payments right so so we actually took apart these pages and then we said okay let's let's cut down the elements that do not make sense for the customer so that the browsing experience improves right so what used to take 10 seconds now took only 2 seconds right and and this resulted in much better experience for customers and translated to better conversions for our e-commerce merchants right which is why they love uh, just pay uh, right and and all of this was not easy work right so we had to we had to open accounts with a lot of banks uh, i remember you know as uh, uh, i myself opened 10 plus accounts vimal also opened 10 plus accounts okay so that you test uh, as a customer the experience okay <laughs> I, and uh, SDK uh, also there were enormous amount of challenges, right? We really had to push the bar on. What is SDK? Like you are you are selling an SDK. What does that mean? Yeah. So the uh, in mobile apps. So when you when you look at an Android app or an iOS app, it's a it's it's a binary software app that needs to be uploaded to the Play Store, right? So uh, any uh, any component that goes into this Android app or an iOS app. uh from a third party used to be called as sdk say suppose you know you are uh, you want to uh, do analytics okay so you will have to download google analytics sdk and then you'll have to embed it into into your app right so for payments we provided uh, this sdk and this can now be linked uh, by a red bus or a make my trip into their application so this was something that was hosted on your server and the app would like make a call and uh, or would redirect the customer to a page that loaded on your server or something or like what is it or or were you like selling code directly that they would sdk is a shipped software uh, so it's almost like you know uh, your your uh, smartphone downloads the uh, app file right so as part of that itself the sdk also gets embedded so it's it's almost like the shipped software of the previous generation of uh, microsoft windows right so in in the app ecosystem though uh, android and ios ecosystem okay so the, like make my trip would buy that code from you essentially and that code would get added to the make my trip app and so so this was like a one time payment plus annual maintenance charge something like that instead of a per transaction fees well that's a uh, that's a very interesting question look um, you know uh, peter thiel says that uh, it's not only important to create value but it's also important to be able to capture value right uh, and what part of value you're capturing and leaving on the table for the other party so that they also see the benefit right so uh, our sdk always uh, the the most important thing about our sdk is that it it helps in improving the conversion so if the conversion for our client used to be 70 percentage of before payments to after payments Uh, our sdk would improve this to say 74 75 percentage right now this results in additional business 
for our clients right so so we would price it at a per transaction level okay so for every transaction that gets optimized or processed by us uh, we would uh, we would charge our client right it it was not like a one time fee that we charge them but uh, how would that work if so again now like you said it's like buying a windows uh, like like a version of windows like say i buy a windows 7 on a dvd or a cd and i install it then how would you come to know uh, how many transactions are happening of what value and stuff like that because you've given them the code for them to integrate right like okay so a lot of this also ties back to analytics right it's not just the it's not just you know you drop the uh, sdk you actually put the sdk and then and then both things just work uh, but also there is constant feedback loop of analytics that right? we do a lot of instrumentation and then uh, and then uh that data uh, is is now in our analytics system and that's how we used to track how much of conversion uplift are we giving right and and there used to be a lot of ab testing also that used to happen right we we make one optimization we ourselves would want to measure hey is this optimization really working well or not right um uh, and so we had uh, full visibility into the number of transactions that get uh, posted to our sdk and then processed and then finally how would your optimizations reach the app would you send it to make my trip dev team and then their team would uh, update the app with it like so so okay um, this was the other challenge that i was going to come to right uh, what happens in an app world is and we are talking pre react native uh, becoming common place so once you ship an application to the play store there is no way for you to update the code right so you've got to then have the cadence of uh, unlike a website right website can be updated anytime that the uh, that the website owner wants but an app requires a deployment into the play store you have to create a new version and then you have to put it into the play store right now what this also means is that let's say you have 10 million customers and your app is 20 mb right so each of these 10 million customers will have to download and update and then they'll get the newer version right so this cycle of pushing out a feature to or or a bug fix into the app uh, ecosystem was very uh, long right uh, you may have customers who are using five or six uh, versions prior versions of your app right so initially when we uh, when we went out with sdk we gave a fully uh, you know compile time code which meant meant that you know every update for every update we would have to go to a flipkart or a redbus or a make my trip saying hey please now uh, include the latest version of our sdk right this got tedious because by the time we push out an update uh, they push out an update and then the last 10% of the customers download that update it it would take anywhere between 6 to 9 months right so we created a, a hot reloadable uh, sdk which meant that you know we could actually make changes to the code in our system and then push a button and then it would it would do a hot reload so the next time the sdk imagine you know the sdk is a self updating sdk okay so uh, the, the way to think about it is you know you've got a shell and then inside that you've got a uh, uh, a software okay the shell remains uh, constant but the software can can keep changing right this entails a lot of challenges today react native provides this as a as an easy thing but 5 uh, uh, years 6 years ago this was not the case right so we actually 
took the philosophy of react native and then we implemented it uh, we implemented it in in our own way for our own requirements because react native sdk used to be 4 mb in size okay that's a minimum footprint of the sdk and with 4 mb we we can't go to any clients at all right so our sdk maximum permissible was 500 kb Right, so we could not rely on React Native, so we built a smaller version of React Native ourselves. Uh, what language were you using? So uh, it's a combination of Java and JavaScript, and JavaScript is something that's easier to learn, easier to wrap your head around, and and writing code is also uh, non-verbose with JavaScript. Uh, given this massive explosion of JavaScript developers, but given that android was predominantly java and xml this caused a big mismatch so react native was the effort to see okay can we have a runtime in java but the actual uh, app has to be represented in uh, javascript okay and and so this almost becomes like your website okay now imagine imagine you know your website is the underlying react native and the the browser is the react native and on top of that you have the uh, website code which is basically html js and css right that bundled as a, a, a and rendered there right so that's what that's what react native this is the closest analogy that i can give you uh, and this is how it works actually the it uses browser as a platform and then on top of that it had created a, a sort of plat component Uh, framework, and then you run the HTML, CSS, JS code on top of that. So in effect, it becomes like a website experience, which is why React Native may usually you will find it to be slower. Nobody writes game games with React Native. So this was your uh, product journey evolution. Uh, how did the uh, the the business side of it work? Like, what kind of revenues were you doing? Did you raise funds before starting it? Uh, you know, tell me about that. Right. So uh, when we started, just pay me and Vimal. We uh, together we put in ten lakhs and we started. Uh, the funding ecosystem was still very, uh, I would say, it was very nascent at that time, but it was existent, uh, definitely existent. Um, and, and we actually raised angel money uh, from uh, from friends and family about uh, to the tune of about fifty lakhs uh, in the first year itself. Right, and, and that helped us sustain. We were uh, we were running a very small. We were keeping our team size to be very small, because bo- both myself and Bimal, uh, given the Amazon experience, we could do a lot of things ourselves. Right, and and we had a we had a small team. Our budgets were small. Um, uh, Harish Shabla came in uh, the second year, uh, and uh, uh, he actually committed uh, one crore. Uh, Uh, to our funding, right, and and that really gave us a major uplift uh, for us to be able to hire more engineers, right. Uh, we had to relocate from Chennai to Bangalore. Uh, hiring engineers at that time in Chennai was very difficult. Uh, we sometimes we had to convince uh, girlfriends or boyfriends. Sometimes we had to convince parents. Okay. <laughs> right? yeah, Otherwise, you know, uh, see, startups were were still. Uh, Not such a common thing back then, right? And people had their doubts, right? Um, so, uh, given that Bangalore had a lot of people who are willing to take the chances and jump into a startup, so lock, stock, and barrel, they shifted to Bangalore. Uh, and uh, three years into the game, uh, when we had significant amount of traction, 
that's when we took our uh, institutional funding in 2008 2015 is when we closed our institutional funding from axel partners and how much was that that was about 6 million dollars uh, uh we we raised at a very attractive valuation uh, unheard of valuation for at that time for a series a round uh that's because you know uh, we waited 3 years and built a lot of traction uh, for our product right and the momentum was just uh, was, was just there what kind of traction did you have by 2015 like what was your revenue numbers or how many transactions were getting processed and see we we had okay our revenue numbers for that year i believe it was about uh, uh, 4 cr okay and our take rate was 100 percentage right so this was this is all this is all money for us we we used to invoice our clients and then take it right so this was this is quite a good amount of money and we were we were keeping our expenses within this right and uh, um uh, this was growing right we were essentially doubling our revenue uh, every year uh, there was a this that 10x growth at that time and from there on we actually grew uh double the revenue pretty much every year double or triple the revenue right and and uh, uh the the traction from the top uh, e-commerce and uh, uh ticketing companies right that really gave confidence to us and our investors uh see the companies like make my trip and red bus they place a really high bar on experience right which means that they are trend setters so once a make my trip takes then every other ticketing company would actually want to get to that level of experience right once a flipkart uh, embraces us then every other company would want to embrace this is dk as well our solutions as well right so uh, so it was imminent that uh, our solutions grew our revenues grew right so that gave us the confidence we had tremendous amount of confidence and our investor also uh, had a lot of confidence in us and they showed it with a good check <laughs> so what was the funding for like what did you want to use because you're operationally you were covered already like you know you were uh, within your revenues only uh, covering ops yeah see the, the, the there were majorly two things that we wanted to do one was you know we wanted to go uh, uh, take this to other clients and then grow this right uh that that was the it was the capital for growth itself growing team growing sales teams growing operations teams and growing data science growing engineering all of that requires in capital investment and the second thing was uh, uh we also were experimenting with pay later at that time now by no pay later is extremely famous today uh we ran an experiment in uh, 2015 uh right and uh, uh we had pilot merchants and then we were running it we were doing it ourselves so you you had like a nbfc partner for this because you would need an nbfc partner right like yes now now we would need an nbfc partner but because we were running it as a pilot uh, for a very small uh, cohort of user base uh, we didn't really partner with an nbfc and at that time we also had uh, it was not like a 15 day credit period or anything so we were just delaying the uh, payment requirement by 2 3 days uh i'm seeing the behavior right observing the behavior of the customers hmm. and and this risk was on your balance sheet or on the merchant the the e-commerce company actually the the pilot at that time that we ran was uh, a non risky one so what we said was that look uh and to the e-commerce companies is what they said look you don't ship the product until the payment is confirmed right think of it as being processed by us 
and we would follow up with the customers okay and and the holding period can be up to one week as well right and if the customer doesn't pay up in that period then we cancel the order right uh, so it is almost like an escrow kind of a kind of a mechanism but we wanted to understand you know what is the what is the level of uh, interest that people had in completing that order right and did that did that period really help them right so this was an experimentation and we wanted to scale it up uh, uh after observing for a few more cycles the goal was again to increase conversion percentage so like say if somebody is getting 80% conversion this would make it 85% or correct yeah okay so so you use funds for uh, building this out so for these two yes mainly for these two uh, projects right but uh, what ended up happening was our we had to double down on our technology investment itself so 2016 was the year that upi happened So end of 2015, we raised money, and 16 UPI happened, and we wanted to make a much bigger bet on UPI, right? Because because this was our moment, you know, going back about that, talking about the fundamental rethink of payment system when you have to rebuild from scratch, right? This was it, right? NPCA was thinking from scratch, saying that okay, hey, look, now we have new dimensions out there. How can we utilize that and create a fundamentally better payment system, right? uh and upi was born and and uh, we went all in hmm. you must have been the first ones to go all in we were amongst the first uh, phone pay was also betting completely on uh, they went all in on upi as well okay yeah i mean paytm was fairly a late adopter of upi yeah 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 the upi journey was breathtaking for us uh, 2016 uh, while we were uh, we were uh, doing a lot of work at the protocol level for uh, upi working closely with with the teams here um uh, demonetization happened right and none of us expected that uh, but this this required a big response from the payments uh, systems as well because digital payments was not common place at that time right paytm had made in roads uh, but it was still not something that was universal right still had lo- quite a few uh, entry barriers for people right so uh, how can we uh, how can we utilize upi this was the mandate for npci uh, for uh, uh, for the government to be able to take to customers to people uh, and provide a digital solution a truly digital solution on the banking infrastructure right and uh, uh, this this led to the creation of bmap right so we started somewhere in uh, in november and within within one month we actually turned it around like we built the entire uh, we were we were very lucky that way uh, where we were perhaps at the right place at the right time and uh, uh, we uh, uh, we were doing some work for npci uh, and when this when this particular uh, uh, demonetization event happened uh, npci was looking at an option for building their own application right Uh, we didn't know the name of the application at that time, so we just called it Bharat Pay, and we. <laughs> we <built it. laughs> uh, and 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 uh, in just one month, right? This was this was like a uh, all in all hands on desk and war footing that we actually got into that mode we got into, and uh, uh, we were sixty people at that time. I remember. and we were just working on this one right just for one month we forgot everything else and then we were just working on this one um we had to build both the server side and the client side application as well right 
So uh, it took a lot of effort, and NPCA was very cooperative. Uh, I used to go. I used. I traveled to Chennai and was there for most of the time at that time. Uh, that's where the NPCA data center is. So provision servers, database, and application servers, and all of that, and then deployed our code. I iterated a few times, and then ultimately it culminated in Prime Minister launching the app. So I had no idea that uh, you built the Bhim app. Uh, I, I, and I mean, I think nowhere is this written that uh, it was built by Jaspay. Yeah, we, we, we kept it low-key because, uh, look, the real, uh, uh, I think the real achievement, uh, a lot of these, these kind of achievements happen behind backstage, right? Uh, it is not something that we wanted to publicize a lot, talk a lot about because uh, those who... Those who uh, wanted uh, in the ecosystem, right, very close to the ecosystem, people knew, right, and and they were the people that uh, we were always trying to impress, right, the banking people and the and the uh, Visa, Mastercard, NPCI, right. The, the, these are these are the people that really uh, should know that you know we, we built it, and and we were happy that you know they all knew. <laughs> all right. So you, uh, this was like a build and transfer kind of a model. Like you built it and you transferred it to them to further enhance and upgrade. Then, then they had an in-house team to look at that. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. 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 And how did you enable UPI payments for your clients? Like say make my trip and all like their payment gateways would be making that available. Right. Or, or. Correct. Yeah. So uh, we were playing a, a very minor role there because payment gateways were uh, fully empowered to process UPI payments, right? Uh, but uh, the account management. So the in, in UPI, one of the things you do is you sign up with a Google Pay or a WhatsApp Pay or a or a Paytm, right? So that requires provisioning of uh, of uh, a UPI account, and there are there are certain guidelines around it. Right? NPCA has a huge uh, set of guidelines around what uh, it means for you to be able to uh, give a UPA account to a customer and the uh, and the rules around uh, linking it to the bank and then being able to set the pin uh, accept the pin and then process it so all of this require has a very big rule book right so uh, one of the things that we uh, achieved by being very close to the UPA ecosystem was understanding it entirely right so we were essentially the go-to uh, guys when, say, someone in Flipkart has a doubt on UPI or an Amazon has a doubt on UPI, right? So uh, uh, they would come to us. Uh, eventually, we built a, a, a very uh, robust issuance infrastructure uh, that we partnered with Access Bank. And then we offered uh, this stack to multiple companies. Uh, the biggest of them today is uh, Amazon, uh, and and their entire UPI issuance stack is powered by the JustPay implementation that's sitting in Access Bank's data data center. Okay, 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 okay. And how is this monetized? Like again, per issuance, like a per transaction basis, or per transaction? I think I think it's a it's a blended model of per transaction plus a license fee. Uh, you know, you see, in enterprise software, you you always have to get very creative with pricing, right? <laughs> so, uh, value is in the eye of the beholder, but there are also constant fixed efforts that go into uh, making this happen, right? Yeah, you you, you, have, you build on on several items, right? So, 
uh, enhancements and license and yearly maintenance and then on top of that a uh, small amount of money at a transaction level So post demonetization what kind of uh, revenues were you at like you were at 4 CR in 15 when you raised funds so by 17 what had you reached see immediately that uh, subsequent year i think we did close to about close to 10 CR and uh, after that we uh, we did close to about 16 or 17 CR uh this was uh, this was the year when we were building the amazon pay upi infrastructure right um yeah i i think now the company does upwards of 50 cr in uh, in revenue this year i think you were uh, with just pay till 2019 so like w- like did you like sell it off or what happened like no actually i stepped down from a full time role uh, from just pay Uh, one of the things that 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 time I wanted to do was uh, uh, look at international opportunity for the company, right? And uh, uh, if if you if you see again, you know this is a this is one of the benefits of not being in the moving money business, right? Moving money business comes with a lot of regulatory compliances uh, because it's serious business, right? Uh, but technology business, unlike that, doesn't have a lot of regulatory underpinnings to it. so which meant that uh, other geographies where there are similar problems are our uh, system could fit right in right so i was exploring other geographies and seeing which which uh, if there is an opportunity for just pay to expand internationally okay so this was around 18 19 that you were doing this yeah so there the the board felt that you know at that time the uh, a lot more emphasis on on india business is good uh for the time being right but i was i was i had a divergent opinion on that one where you know uh, we could hit really big if we go to a different market uh because uh, because the uh, you know f- f- for what it's worth uh outside india the economy e-commerce economy is larger especially in the developed markets and the take rates are higher as well right your your average transaction size for example on a swiggy if you see it would probably be about uh, $5 okay 5 usd right uh, there is an average transaction in the us uh, for an equivalent would be about $20 right uh, now given that uh, at a per transaction level also your your absolute take home is higher and at a percentage level also because uh, the developed markets have predominantly have visa mastercard where the margins are much higher right so it it made a lot of sense for improving revenues uh, by going outside india and your your product was also fairly portable uh, i mean it's it's not like something which only is built for india but it it can, any e-commerce company anywhere in the world could use it yeah so look uh, here's here is when uh, while of course it is portable now do the does the problem really exist is is what is the uh, most tricky question in a startup right which is what we call product market fit right um is the problem big enough is the problem top 1 2 3 for that particular person that you know they'll they'll take your solution right so what was happening was the world itself was becoming a uh, was transforming itself or coming out of the shackles of visa mastercard you could say right uh, us is still very homogeneous but it's changing today uh, but you look at uk or you look at singapore it became very quickly heterogeneous uh, 
to give you an analogy here right uh, to an example look at book my show book my show's checkout page contains pretty much uh, all the payment methods that are out there in india that's out there in india and you would see 20 plus payment methods there right this is the kind of diversity uh, which uh, which is what uh, just pay really shines when there is such diversity in payment methods right um now what was happening was world over uk specifically uh, after they announced the uh, open banking infrastructure uh, a lot more new payment methods uh, started coming up right giving a lot more choice for customers right uh, be it wallet be it bnpl be it open banking uh, and then visa mastercard right so suddenly you had a big explosion of payment methods and then the same thing same trend was observed in singapore and the neighboring markets as well and this is the place where once you have enormous number of payment methods the complexity also increases significantly right and just pay reduces that complexity uh, so that uh, e-commerce companies can focus on their primary bread and butter and leave the payment method complexity to us right yeah so 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 we were uh, it was not that you know we were tweaking our product to suit the market needs of the other countries in fact the other countries were becoming were changing uh, and and our product was becoming relevant for uh, for them okay okay when you say the board did not agree but uh, like you must have had a significant stake in it right like because you didn't dilute much uh, <laughs> see ultimately uh, everyone should buy into the thesis right in a, in a startup uh, the, one of the one of the perilous things that you can do in a startup is pull the company in different direction right you uh, it's it's better to avoid that because uh, then the outcome really is suboptimal really suboptimal right uh, if if we are sure about a market opportunity uh and that is a multi billion dollar market opportunity it it makes tremendous amount of sense to just focus on that one and and gain keep gaining uh market share and keep gaining strength right and and at the right time take the plunge right so uh, uh and these are the tricky decisions right and they will have significant impact in the uh, in the outcome right um Uh, so it's very hard to figure out or think about what could be an alternative timeline right and and these are very instinct driven decisions right uh, so you may just not feel so uh, so you, you then you are not buying into the decision right so unless there is 100 percentage buying into the decision it's it's very hard to get people to commit their energies into pursuing that goal right uh, so so that that was that was one of the reasons right and and look in, in a startup you will have so many such decisions right uh, there are uh, when it comes to impact uh, there are only two kinds of decisions one that in, involves enormous cost uh, a very costly decision and then there are cheap decisions okay cheaper reversible decisions are okay nobody cares okay but the costly irreversible decisions are something that can really uh, put the company in a tailspin right venturing into a new market requires capital say you, you go to the us you're looking at anywhere between 10 to 20 million dollars right like like uh, give you an example rails bank expanded to the us they went and raised 35 million dollars right so it's a, a it's a lot of directional focus which is required 
and a lot of manpower that's required to uh, make make it successful right so unless the unless the company unless everyone feels it in their bones and with you right it doesn't make sense right right okay so what did you decide to do then like like did you decide okay let me work on this idea only on my own or like what was the, the like what was going on in your mind yeah so <laughs> look uh, uh, the urge is always okay hey look let's solve a bigger problem okay if you solve this problem perhaps it's a, it's a billion dollar opportunity now can we look at a 10 billion dollar opportunity or you measure this based on the impact right so one of the things that i was thinking is that look what is the, what could be the most impactful thing next right and i always had this uh, uh, this this inspiration from upi that you know networks can create a lot of impact so this was this was the time when rbi called for formally called for new umbrella entities as well which are nothing but more visa master like institutions right and uh, um, and and uh, this was fantastic because with regulatory support we could reimagine payment methods right uh, newer payment methods and newer rules of the game right uh, and at that time my thinking was okay uh, bnpl is taking uh, root and it's capturing the imagination of people uh, and for a variety of reasons which we will come to later as to why bnpl makes sense uh, but unfortunately the rules of the games are not fixed in in bnpl right uh unlike a credit card right and uh, can a network step in and then fix the rules of the games and create protocols uh native protocols that every other bnpl company can uh, come up with and uh, use as standard rails right so an nue offers that kind of opportunity right so i will so uh, i i join hands with another nue aspirant and uh, as advising on what all projects that we could pursue uh, 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 for that in, for the nue right uh, and trying to make a compelling case to get rbi approval for that right? so uh, this was the work that i was doing post uh, stepping down from just pay and i also got to advising neo banks um, again solving very specific problem for example you take you take the sme neo banking uh, one of the things that always irked me was uh, Uh, very large companies had enormous amount of tools to automate a variety of tasks when it comes to vendor payments for example salary payments and your your money management tools were very uh, very much very quite better quite a lot better for large companies right for small customers a bank wouldn't even offer this they wouldn't even say that you know such a thing is offered Right? and even if they do it came at a very steep price <clears throat> both in terms of actual money and in terms of process overhead as well right uh, because think about it right small businesses do not have uh, manpower or auditor or a, or a finance team to uh, handle those process overheads right uh, so i was advising a neo bank it's a, it's a very real requirement how do we get the cash management system commoditize the cash management system for small and medium sized enterprises right uh, it's a very real problem a lot of companies are solving for it now uh, which is which is a very good thing right and i was also advising one consumer neo banking project as well right in both these cases one of the things that i saw first hand was that you know uh, 
yes, I did have experience working with banking ecosystems, right? Uh, but in payments, the surface area is very small. You either want to pull money or you want to push money into an account. Whereas right? when it comes to banking, you do a ton of things, right? Uh, everything that a teller does in a bank, all those options have to be present in the mobile banking interface, right? And which meant that now earlier, if you were interacting with 10 APIs, now you interact with 200, 300 APIs, right? So this in increase the complexity, uh, you know, and, and such complexity is always exponential. It's not linear. Okay. Uh, and when you are iterating on top of 100, 200 APIs, uh, you know, things could break uh, very easily. Right? Things could become uh, difficult very easily. Right. And banks are not the tech companies, right? Like, you know, why would, why would a Google engineer join a bank? Right. retaining that kind of an engineering talent is also enormously difficult for a bank right? because they have a different DNA. Right? Just like how a Google cannot do personal loans and home loans, uh, a bank also cannot do, cannot actually retain a Google caliber engineer. Right. So which means a lot of work gets really outsourced to companies and then, and then which is why you see banking technology is always Suboptimal when it when you compare them to a different uh, say a fintech app or you compare it to an to a Flipkart or an Amazon right because it is what it is right so how can we the, the question then is like okay is this the status quo that we have to live with or can we improve this right so that's what led me to uh, my next adventure uh, which will come to shortly but this is what I was doing during the interim period right. Uh, thinking about say you know how can we at a fundamental level create more impactful systems uh, for payments and for remittances uh, and on the other hand looking at okay how can we create how can we uh, look at embedded banking uh, is there is there a better way to do embedded banking right so these are the problems that i uh, that i was thinking about mm -hmm. rbi eventually did not uh, go ahead with the nue proposal right like Correct. Nothing came out of it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they made a final call on that, but I I do wish that they revisit that and give the opportunity to at least one or two companies, the aspirants, based on the merits, right? Because I I do feel that uh, 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 some disruptive thinking, some rethinking, at the very least, you know, in a very sandbox manner, uh, can be allowed. Uh, and given the pace of technology, right? Uh, newer methods can easily find takers and we still have a lot of problems to be solved, right? Um, say, for, for example, domestic remittances in itself is a much bigger problem. Okay, the last mile, delivering money to the last mile is, a, is still an unsolved problem, right? Uh, a feature phone, how do you do digital payments with a feature phone is an unsolved problem, right? So, so uh, how do you embrace better technologies like blockchain, Again, you know, it, it opens up newer opportunities, right? How, what if you can program money, which is what Ethereum is talking about, right? Ethereum and other, uh, uh, if not Bitcoin, Ethereum is talking about it, right? Smart contracts, right? We've already embraced that in a, in a different uh, aspect of our life. For, for example, the way land registrations are ma managed, right? Uh, uh, many other problems like escrows and uh, uh, receivable financing, all of that can be solved in a much better way uh, on with new technologies, right? Uh, enabling these institutions which come with a razor focus to solve those problems, I think would be fantastic. Uh, and given that RBI has always been an innovator themselves, 
I think they should reconsider, uh, uh, you know, issuing uh, limited licenses. So, and like an an NUE would end up being a competitor to NPCI, and it would also need buy-in from all the stakeholders, like all the banks, and the, for 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 it to really build a product. Like, see, I I don't see competition as a uh, the, the way a defeatist uh, view, right? With a defeatist view, right? I see competition as a as a more thriving. Uh, thing say you know say suppose you know we, this new NUE comes up with a with a rails for BNPL now suddenly uh, which means that NPCA now will think about okay how can we uh, support credit better on Rupee or UPI right uh, and rethink the primitives there right uh, so I think it would be a very healthy competition if anything uh, and the problem areas are too diverse okay so. So they can carve out their specialities, right? Uh, for example, do I feel that there has to be a competition for UPI? I don't think it is required, right? Uh, uh, the existing competition is good enough. Your Visa, MasterCard, and the card as a form factor and UPI as a form factor is a good enough competition for themselves. There's no need for another consumer payment method. Uh, uh, but other problems like credit and uh, uh, financing and those are all problems that still need solving especially b2b payments for example right it needs a lot of problem solving uh, very complex use cases will emerge there hmm. okay so tell me about hyperface like what is the thesis behind hyperface so uh, see my experience of advising those neo banking implementation taught me one thing right uh, banks will have to work very closely with tech specialists to be able to enable embedded banking, right? Now, every bank almost now talks about uh, partnering with fintechs and then uh, and then allowing fintechs to build on top of banks, right? So, servicing is now moving to the fintechs, uh, right? Uh, in fact, they are becoming very imaginative even with products, right? So, uh, otherwise, you will have standard products like fixed deposit, personal loan. Now, if you see BNPL is a play on personal loan, right? You layer two personal loans and then you say that, okay, hey, tenure of your one personal loan is 15 days and then your another personal loan kicks in. And then, and then again, you know, it, it just layers from there, right? So BNPL is, a, is an innovation on top of personal loan, right? So similarly, uh, there can be many other uh, innovation that can come up with the, even in the product layer, but let's put a pin on that, right? Even taking the existing functionalities and then embedding that in a, in a FinTech app, that itself is a much bigger problem. And this is where uh, instead of banks trying to figure these things themselves, uh, imagine if they work very closely with a tech specialist that can aid them in doing this better. Right? We partner with them and then do this much better way. Uh, how can, say, you know, uh, when I think about it, the example that comes to my mind is that, okay, hey, uh, can we create the APIs to the level of quality of Stripe. Now, Stripe is a name that everybody understands. It stands synonymous for best, beautiful APIs out there, right? So, uh, even a company that wants to offer savings account or a current account uh, and embed them into their experience would benefit from a Stripe-like API, uh, uh, right? And they don't have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, how does this API work? How does this API upgrade, right? Uh, and I always tell that, look, anybody can create APIs, but uh, can you make 
the developers fall in love with your APIs, right? That is that is always the acid test for an API, right? And how do you think about the life cycle of the API? Right? When things change, underlying things change, say tomorrow the rules of the KYC is change, right? It shouldn't be that now we create a completely new set of APIs, right? You've got to be able to capture those changes within the given API set itself, right? So which means a lot more tech thinking is required. You've got to wear a tech person's hat and then think about it. Right. And the banks are enormously good at uh, trust, right? They they are institutions of trust, right? Uh, and they can they can hold people's money and trust, and that is not going to go away, right? But to demand that you know they be really strong technology wise also is very unfair to them, right? And and this is the gap that we fill. We wanted to take a banking product and then make make it much better, right? Make it much better so that very good digital experiences can be built on top of that. And so new banks can then focus on the consumer value prop a lot more, right? Their experience and their their marketing and their messaging, which is which is what they sh- they would have to be focusing on day in and day out, right? Uh, while leaving the the tech uh, uh, burden on a company uh, like us, right? And and we naturally found we na- we naturally believe we very firmly believe that a bank cannot solve uh, this uh, uh, by embracing or building technology themselves, right? Uh, just as you know, we can't win the trust of uh, you or other common people to put your money with us, right? <laughs> it's something that we don't know, right? But we understand technology really, really well. So, uh, which is why we started Hyperface as a bank as a service, right? Essentially, banking as a service is is the is the jargon that people use today. But uh, in in if you break it down in in the into the simpler uh, uh, simpler concepts. What it essentially does is it takes the existing banking product and the entire lifecycle is now digitized and broken down into APIs, right? And through this APIs, now you can create orchestra of user experiences, right? And we manage this entire lifecycle of this software, okay? While the uh, product still remains with the bank, okay? So this is what Hyperface is about. We chose credit cards as the entry uh, point because... Uh, if you look at credit card, it's a very complex product, right? It's got it's got credit built into it. It's got experience. It's got rewards, right? And it's got a lot of user innovations built into it. Uh, and it's 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 also a, a, a challenging product because uh, terms are not clear, interest rates and fees and uh, other collection mechanisms, right? So it's it's it stands on many different legs and it needs a lot more uh, investment in technology. But it's also a product that has enormous power uh, to take credit to every nook and corner of the country, right? Uh, credit penetration in the US is upwards of 90%, right? In, in India, we are still uh, in single-digit percentage. Uh, and a lot is required in order for us to take this from where we are uh, to above upwards of 50%, right? And... and uh, you may disagree on the form factor. Like even I may disagree on the form factor. Should it have to be credit card? No, it doesn't have to be credit card, right? But it has to be formal credit. A credit that is extended by the bank to a customer saying that, look, I trust you with 10,000 rupees. I trust you with one lakh, up to one lakh rupees, right? Now that is very important, right? That is where we should aspire to get because the cheapest form of credit can only be offered by a bank, 
right and a lot of efficiencies can be brought into the society if we are able to deliver this in in a cost effective way uh, uh to even the bottom of the pyramid people in the bottom of the pyramid right in the unorganized sector so a lot of work that needs to be done right and and we are starting from the from the top of the pyramid but eventually we believe we firmly believe that this is a form factor that can scale down into the bottom of the pyramid right by that what i mean is that you know today an hdfc may offer you a credit card that has a credit limit of 3 lakh rupees right but essentially we've got to take this product and then we've got to offer a 10000 rupee credit card to a person right? and still the bank shouldn't have to run out of shouldn't have to go into loss uh, for offering this product right so that's what i mean by scaling down the product but scaling up the distribution right okay so uh, uh, your customer base is the bank and what you do is you plug into the bank's core banking system and create uh, products which then fintech companies can do api integration with and focus on distribution so so they only need to worry about distribution and the the customer journey is something which you take care of on behalf of the bank correct yeah yeah see a lot of marketing innovation is is where the uh, fintechs will focus right new banks will focus on okay how can i create a better product okay uh, uh, how can i be innovative about it messaging and, and product experience right so that's where a lot of their energy should go into rather than figuring uh, solving for uh, compliance and and the api life cycle and uh, uh, working very closely with the banking system right so th- that becomes very cumbersome uh, uh, for the fintech okay okay so uh... give me some practical examples of things that you have built like say for just pay you gave me an example of reading the otp and auto filling it you know so so what so give me some examples which make it more relatable yeah okay so so okay today if you see um to give you what it is that we are aspiring for right uh now now a lot of people are uh, aware about apple launching a credit card right and the experience is so kickass that it's all completely in app experience right uh, i'll talk about just one small thing right? uh, when you receive a card physical card it is deactivated it is not in it's not in a usable state uh, you've got to do something to activate it now you typically banks uh, what they used to do is they ask they would ask you to take it to an atm and then get it activated okay what apple did was fantastic they actually said that hey look your iphone is authenticated and uh, you all you have to do is just tap the card into your iphone and then your card gets activated right now this is just so brilliant right it's so it's, it's so brilliant as an experience now we look at this and we say that okay hey why can't a neo bank in india also offer that experience why can't the why can't amazon uh, credit card also have that experience why can't the flipkart co-branded credit card also have that experience right today if you see uh, 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 the experience of a flipkart co-branded credit card and then compare that with an apple card right there's a sea of difference now how can we bridge that difference and then make even make flipkart credit card flipkart access bank is also super sexy that it is comparable if not better than an apple card right that's what that's the experience gap that we are trying to bridge and this is something today in india you would not Uh, you 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 don't have a live example 
because credit card experience today is very uh, uh, closely linked to the mobile banking experience right so far fintechs have not been able to launch a credit card uh, credit card outside of the banking system right so we are we are sort of first out the gate at the moment uh, we are uh, uh, still solving for a lot of basic things for example how can we digitize the entire application uh, uh, process application and kyc process right that in itself is a much bigger problem right and and then comes the card experience right so a lot of problems in this to eliminate the paper forms that people fill out right and and then we get into the actual card experience right so we we, we have a lot of ground to cover uh, but what is the outcome going to be an apple card experience for every neo bank that is out there every e-commerce company that's aspiring to launch a co-branded card right that is the that is the kpi that is the uh, goal that we are working towards you know and as we always say we like to simplify things right so a simple thing is commoditizing apple card experience for everybody out there so you are uh, also then planning to work with these uh... uh fintech or e-commerce companies which are offering cards so it's not just the banks that you will work with like one part of it will be working with banks but then you will also probably act as a bridge and uh work with the fintechs and the e-commerce companies so that they are just able to take your sdk and create a way for a customer to apply for a card and get it approved and receive the card and then have a dashboard where they can see their spends and rewards and so so all of that like you will give it to them in a box uh, like a credit card app in a box which can go inside a flipkart app for example so so that credit card app in a box would be provided by you correct absolutely right so tomorrow a brand can walk into us uh, and they can say that hey look i want to launch a co-branded credit card uh, and we can help them launch it in weeks right so that's that's our proposition right and we'll make it extremely easy both by way of product and technology and ongoing uh, servicing of the customers as an ext- very very easy thing okay and uh, what is the state of the product i have you launched something or is it still like r&d stage it is still in uh, integration stage right we have a, as i said you know we have a lot of apis to integrate with mm, right yeah, yeah extremely complex mm. yeah yeah but but this is like you know uh, this is one of the most difficult uh, parts uh, but we are getting there uh, we are we are uh, uh, taming the complexity here uh, once the integration is done then a big problem a uh, big chunk of the problem would have been solved hmm 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 right right so uh, in a way this is like just pay version 2 for a different industry but it is somewhat uh, similar in the, the 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 basic nature of the product correct yeah yeah this is the other side of the coin uh, where you know we we're not talking about payments but we're talking about uh, issuing an account managing the account tracking balance and uh, completely on the account side right we're just based on the payment side and uh, have you raised funds for it so far like what we've been very fortunate uh, to have really good friends in the fintech ecosystem uh it raised money from a lot of uh, from a handful of angel syndicates uh, also kunalcha has been a very big supporter from day one for us uh it it just took him 10 minutes to say yes <laughs> uh, uh uh and we also raised money from bini bansal and uh, and a bunch of people uh, outside of india as well uh, because we see again you know 
we see this as an international problem not just an india problem uh, so we are we are very very clear that we will take this international Hmm. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, you've talked a lot about BNPL, and you know wh- why is BNPL so hot right now? Why do so many companies want to get into BNPL? Why are investors funding BNPL so massively? Right. See, so you, you need to understand that the economics of credit cards, right? And and banks have a very rigid process around credit cards. One of the reasons that uh, you would see that. credit cards always have a much higher credit limit right like you would not you would not find in the market a lot of credit cards below a 50000 uh, spend limit right available credit limit right that's that's because the amount of money that they spend to acquire a customer is very high uh, it's as high as you're looking at anywhere between 2000 to 3000 rupees right now uh, uh, when when you're spending that much money to get a customer uh then then your expectation in terms of roi is also very high right uh which is which is where if you see even for a personal loan this is true and that's where nbfcs bridge the gap nbfcs can offer say 15000 rupees loan personal loan or to attend 20000 rupees personal loan right without without a lot of process overhead mm, what money tap does correct what companies like money tap do right in fact money tap like companies can do 5000 rupee loan also right credit b crazy b this kind of companies right well, i think this is also what mobi quick is betting on correct and they they all cracked one thing right distributing a product like personal loan at scale at a very low cost right and still be able to justify rois right and this is what the banks have not figured out right in india only banks can launch credit cards uh, as per rbi rule right nbfcs cannot launch credit cards now now given that the banks banks have very high cost of acquisition and cost of servicing it makes it doesn't make sense for them to go to the bottom of the pyramid okay uh now but still the appetite is there right we've seen how bajaj uh, bajaj finance have been very successful with their emi card Right, which means that a lot of large part of market is credit worthy, underserved, uh, but their requirement is not a one lakh credit card, but a twenty thousand or a thirty thousand rupee credit card. Right now, how can that segment be serviced? Is where the fintechs come in, right? And then they say that, hey, look, I can I can give you a loan of say five thousand rupees and then make it a revolving credit. Okay. and and you don't you just keep using it keep repaying it on a regular cadence and i'm happy which is like a current account uh, with an overdraft balance it is somewhat similar to that hmm. okay yes yes right and and they put a uh, the the formal shape that this product has taken is bnpl right because see you've got to give it a name uh, to be able to capture the imagination of people right and then and then keep using that uh, for marketing and that eventually becomes a common parlance right so 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 bnpl is a parlance for credit card without a physical credit card basically without a physical credit card it's a parlance for a prepackaged personal loan or a repackaged overdraft facility right and 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 that is how now fintechs are marketing this product right tailored towards not towards cash withdrawal but tailored towards using this in e-commerce portals where uh, 
uh, it is a requirement like if you see bajaj finance while they do personal loan they give cash to people but a lot of the the emi card facilities is consumer durable loan <clears throat> right it's meant for that right and and this is what is the segment that bnpl companies are also targeting so at a fundamental level this is what a credit card should have targeted but unfortunately the economics of a credit card doesn't allow uh, the banks to go into this segment right and enter fintechs they have been able to successfully capture the imagination of people with a bnpl product right that they have built on top of nbfcs right so technically it is a personal loan if you if you actually look at how this gets reported in a in a into a credit bureau it will be a loan right because credit bureaus also do not recognize bnpl as a product but they do recognize credit card as a product okay there are different forms of bnpl no one is you have like at the uh, checkout at the time of checkout you have that option where you can just split your payment into three parts uh, or like you have like to say that lazy pay and thing like that where you can make multiple purchases and pay at the end of the month or something like that uh, but what these companies like say mobiquick are doing is somewhat different or even money tap that, that that is like a uh, i don't think that is something which is there at the point of checkout right yeah look uh, finally what form factor is going to win over right eventually see most innovation process works this way right you you have this no but could you like 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 just categorize these form factors first and then tell me what is your what you think will be the form factor that will yeah see you you've got uh, okay you've got uh, things like say in outside of india you you look at an after pay it's it's got a six week payment plan right every week you you pay and you look at an affirm affirm looks at it differently right they have they have a fortnightly plan they have a weekly plan you choose the way you want right you've got flexibility so uh, you you look at a bajaj finance in india bajaj finance sticks to emi right because our salary cadence is monthly right so they stick stick to uh, a monthly uh, emi right now uni has taken a different approach or lazy pay has taken a 15 day credit period approach icsa bank pay later has taken a monthly approach right so it it, it is very culturally driven right say tomorrow when we are looking at a gig economy for example uber and ola payout will happen twice a week right so they uh, for that cohort when you are taking a bnpl product you can have higher frequency repayment uh, mechanisms right you can probably have a week long uh, uh, bnpl product as well right so the the cadence will vary depending on the customer segment that a particular company is serving right and and accordingly they package this into different different products right like a uni the way they say it is pay in three and perhaps the the target audience is the millennial salaried millennial who just wants the convenience of being able to split the payment into three emis right uh, but a daily wage person will look at it very differently right because they don't get paid on a monthly basis a freelancer will look at it differently a person in the media industry where the work is uh, uh, very uh, erratic they will look at it differently right so each of these segment will have different different product like we work with a logistics company where they uh, they want to issue bnpl to their truck drivers right now their cadence is going to be different right they can say that look i i only want to issue this 
in a in a particular on a particular day of the month i will have the repayment uh, uh, deadline right so it can be a monthly right but i'll only give it in these these few months when i know that the truck driver is going to be working with me right so it's very custom made very tailor made to their uh, requirements right of a flipkart seller uh, bnpl will look very different from a flipkart consumer bnpl uh, something like a money tap um that is i think essentially just a line of credit which you can use anywhere like you can correct correct uh, and that is powered by upi right or even mobiquick is like upi powered see upi is the spend form factor right see uh, okay when when say i issue credit to a person uh, and i tell them that person that hey look you can spend up to 30000 rupees with this right but where will i spend now in order for me to spend this i either need a card as a form factor or upi as a form factor right you go to a kirana store or a, or a supermarket these are the only two form factors that are today supported right and and then there is cash right but cash has a problem because cash is very very liquid cash can be used for many other things also right and and uh, because these are essentially meant for purchases uh you don't want to give it as cash then you might as well give give it as a personal loan so uh, you are building products for both like upi based and card based also or yeah so we will eventually build it for upi as well but today we are focusing on card as the form factor because uh, npci still has to come up with more clarity on how to spend via upi on top of a prepaid instrument okay uh because upi today works exclusively on top of uh, either regulated wallets only exclusively for them or bank accounts okay it's not allowed for third party uh, applications that run on top of wallet which is why today if you see a lazy pay uh, cannot uh, process a, U- a transaction on upi even though you will have the spend limit uh, for new users right npc has actually put an embargo on this one but they are expected to come up with uh, with more clarity so when they do come up with more clarity as you rightly said we will support both upi and uh, card as a form factor as well how does uh, pay later on upi work like you get a new upi id which you enter when you are checking out yes you you will be given a new upi id see it's very similar when you look at a bank account right uh, a bank account has a debit card and the upi as well right Oh, a, a money tap account or a lazy pay account also is expected to work that way only right you will you will except that think of it as an overdraft account hmm mm-hmm. okay okay got it so, so money tap will issue you a, a unique upi id which you can then use for your purchases and uh, got it got it got it okay 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 so uh, you know what do you think will be the uh, like the the trends in the payment ecosystem over the next couple of years see uh, we still have to solve a lot of problem uh, akshay the the current uh, upi ecosystem is extremely vibrant we've been able to take payments down into every nook and corner of the country right uh, which is a fantastic achievement uh, but credit has not been uh, uh, taken into every single household yet right our debt to household gdp ratio is also very low which which means that you know there is still a lot of room to grow and and see debt should always be given as an optional thing right i'm not saying that we've got to overburden the people with debt 
but if i want to borrow money i should have the choice to borrow money i should have the power to borrow money right today a lot of people are left out of the formal uh, debt ecosystem uh, formal credit ecosystem right now how do we bring them all up into that uh, uh, facility is uh, a, a lot of this can be solved through payments right payments actually have holds a very big uh, uh, very big data input for solving for credit as well because based on the spend patterns right we can easily identify the purchasing power of a person right and that's a very key input to figuring out okay hey is this person uh, credit worthy or not Hmm. So people who are not in the formal economy, who don't have a payslip to show, uh, or who are earning in cash, like say a panwala, for example. So for them, uh, access to credit is impossible unless they use a payment uh, app, and that payment app has the data about their spends, and therefore that payment app can offer them credit. Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Mm, okay okay got it so uh, and you would also work with these payment apps like say a google pay or uh, so on uh, in terms of helping them launch credit products see in in uh, we will definitely work with fintech companies right doesn't necessarily have to be a google pay uh, but uh, a lot of i believe that a lot of action will happen in the in the fintech layer where uh, think of it this way right there can be a very school specific Uh, or a tuition center specific uh, fintech app right that really optimizes it all for a for a tuition uh, center or there can be a very kirana or a or a panwala assessor right very very specifically targeted to that user base or it can be your wholesalers right distributors now that is a cohort because the problem statements for these guys are all very unique for these cohorts are all very unique right so we will see a lot of action in specialization specialized use cases uh, both on the on the business business people side as well and the consumer side as well right so we will work with multiple different uh, cohorts and different different fintech companies that are innovating and e-commerce companies as well and helping them launch credit card and bnpl products okay okay uh, and uh, for bnpl though uh, an nbfc partnership or a bank partnership is mandatory as per rbi norms like yes uh, in fact the law there if you see right in the us very very clear that uh, if you are making a credit decision about a particular person then uh, then you have to re- register as a credit institution okay only only because you know because uh, it beats out a lot of biases right there are a lot of guidelines about you making a decision about a person saying that hey look is this person deemed credit worthy or not right now uh, in india in fact we don't have such a law yet right in bfc uh, uh, ecosystem is required uh, predominantly for credit bureau reporting and uh, and being able to being able to Uh, get into the formal ecosystem right and they are the ones that have access to capital as well right uh, so i believe a lot more evolution as well will happen here uh, rbi recently came up with uh, regulating nbfcs right by dividing into into four different buckets and then applying very fine grained regulation which is a fantastic it's a, it's a fantastic step in the right direction right so we'll see many such uh, evolution uh, in the regulatory landscape as well 
funding landscape as well and the fintech landscape as well right so overall we are super excited about this space would companies that own data like would they replace credit bureaus you know so like say uh, google pay has that data of payments of different users or say khata book which is again also capturing that data w- would they be replacing credit bureaus and be a better option than credit bureaus for uh, reaching out to the masses uh this is this is a very interesting question look the uh, few companies holding a lot of data and owning data and keeping it to themselves as as a as a basis to make credit decisions uh or you know make rich decisions about credit worthiness and repayment behavior of a customer i think that will not lead to a very efficient marketplace right we need the credit bureaus to be able to serve uh, be able to react in real time be able to uh, keep the data readiness uh, in at least near real time right be able to run their algorithms much more frequently than the monthly cadence which they run uh, as of now uh, t- tell me first what what is the way in which a credit bureau traditionally works see credit bureaus get the data from banks on a regular cadence and then they have their own and that data is what that this customer is paying on time that is it or like what credit issuance credit rejections credit repayment data what is credit rejection so if if a bank is rejecting a, a person on on a credit decision right so uh, all those are right and and then and then even the credit inquiry right if somebody goes to say 10 different uh, places and then uh, 10 different institutions and then they are asking for a personal loan even that gets reported to the credit bureau right and and the customer is penalized for that because they are they're shopping around and they are getting rejected mostly from from uh, all institutions right so so a, a lot of this is given as data input to credit bureaus and they get collect these data data points from nbfcs as well right so at any point in time what is the total and what do they give as the output then they, they give like a single score or the score is something that they do give but it's a very abstract one but they also give detailed uh, analysis on the on the customer uh, on the historical uh, data point as data points as well become available to you and the current uh, uh, credit uh, total credit that has been given to the customer right outstanding payments and uh, even the granular repayments data points are also available with the credit bureaus and these are made accessible to uh, banks and uh, nbfcs got it okay okay right okay so okay i understand now how traditional bureaus work so yeah you were saying about the the, the problem with them yeah two things one is the bureau uh, data has to become even more cheaply accessible uh, it has to become more cost effective then it has to also become uh, real time right like imagine you know i am issuing a product where it's a one week long credit product or a two week long credit product and the customer doesn't pay now this entire thing falls within a month right so the ability to be able to report this behavior of the customer and then uh, making sure that you know uh, other institutions become aware of it right that is very important now if the customer pays back on time right that again indicates a positive behavior on the customer's part and again the credit bureaus should be uh, should become sensitive quite quickly to this and be able to uh, make this available to other institutions so that now the marketplace becomes efficient right now you can see how the marketplace becomes very efficient with this right so 
they have to become more real time-ish uh, and more cost-effective. And, and that is the way, again, you know, uh, for the institutions that are serving uh, bottom of the pyramid, right? They would benefit from uh, these changes, this evolutionary changes to predict bureaus as well, right? As to as to few institutions mastering data or keeping a lot of data about customers, I think uh, in the long in the short term that will be very efficient, but in the long term that will be to our detrimental. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And do uh, uh, how many credit bureaus are there? Today, if you see, right, again, uh, you've got bureaus like Crystal, Griff, Experian, and Sybil, uh, right? Uh, there's enough competition. So it's, it's not as if there is there has to be uh, more competition. Right? And, and these bureaus uh, are getting data from all stakeholders equally, like Experian and Sybil get the same inputs of data, like, or is it that, say, banks choose, okay, I will send data to this bureau, but not that, like, what is the... No, so even credit bureaus are regulated by RBA, right? So the rules of the game ha- has been set by RBA. Right? Not every institution can become a credit bureau. You've got to apply for it and become one. And once you become one, then you become eligible to get data from all the banking and NBFC institutions. And what is in it for the banks to give the data to so many different bureaus? Like, it's just a compliance requirement or? So compliance requirement notwithstanding, right? Banks, uh, banks also benefit from the existing knowledge that we have derived about customers, right? So the bad behavior becomes recorded in the system and it becomes available for everyone, right? And this, this actually acts as the safety net uh, uh, against uh, bad behavior uh, uh, on the customer's part, right? Because if nobody is looking, then... Uh, there is always that in that incentive for the customer to take and not pay, right? So that's what used to happen before the credit bureaus uh, became commonplace, right? You go apply for a loan with one bank, don't pay, then go to another bank and then apply for a loan again. Okay. And uh, what does it cost for uh, accessing the report of somebody through a credit bureau? See, it, it, it is a spectrum. For the basic data, there's a pricing. For extensive data, there's another pricing. But what's the range like? Like you said, it's expensive. So, you know, I want to understand. You're looking at anywhere from few rupees to few hundred rupees. So few hundred rupees won't work if you are giving very small value loans. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Okay. And these credit bureaus are, are not that tech savvy in the sense like they could have an API integration with bank and get real-time information and that real-time reflected in the reports which get pulled out. But but that is something which none of these bureaus are currently doing. Actually, credit bureaus are quite tech savvy. I wouldn't... Uh, uh, in fact, if you see, most of the things that they do is around technology and data science, right? And, and they attract some of the some of the best minds in the industry to to go and work for them. Okay. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in, that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-M dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.